is it a nature publication or is it the impact that we make to the world? And I think at some point I realized I don't really care if I'm first or second uh, or what is the impact factor of the paper that I will publish. I want to influence people's life. I really want to make a change. I want to get the feeling that we are part of something big, something that is important. And I took the chance for three years to be alone, suffer from lack of funding and lack of salary and, um, and working days and nights and having no co teammates and anything because I wanted to de-risk the project. I wanted to make sure that I will dose a patient and I will see that this is working. And then I go to the investors and I will tell them, I de-risked the project. Now, fund the company. here with uh, Natalie Vyohana. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, and Offer is here as well. Hi. Hi. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, Natalie has a very interesting startup um, in the biotech um, sphere and she's going to tell us a bit about it and then we'll dive in and how uh, she managed to transform quite directly, right, from the academia into your own company. Yes, I was employed only once in my life before Minovia. <laughs> so, very um, academic uh, background and then directly to the industry. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> so, uh, what was your PhD in and what does Minovia do? Okay, so I started my academic um, uh, training in Ben Gurion University. I did a first degree in um, um, medical laboratories. And then I knew that I want to continue to, uh, to research and I decided that there was a very interesting course that started in bar -Ilan. It was about uh, in vitro fertilization. Uh, so I'm actually by, by training an embryologist. And I, I, you know, I practiced a little bit in this plain garden, <laughs> creating embryos, which was amazing, but still the research was uh, one of the greatest passions. So I did a PhD in the Hebrew University, uh, focusing on different roles of mitochondria in health and disease, mostly in reproductive organs. And I focused on um, studying a, a certain protein that was transferring cholesterol into the mitochondrial membranes. Um, and specifically, I, I studied placental expression of this, uh, of this protein. And together with who is today, she's my chief scientist in Minovia, um, she studied exactly the same um, um, placenta that I studied, but a different gene. So we used to just do everything together. Both of us were fresh mothers, and we did the pregnancies one after another, and uh, we covered everyone, that, every time that one was pregnant, uh, the other used to do all the uh, radioactive tests <laughs> for, for her. So we were really great mates, and 
um, so we studied um, normal behavior of stereogenic tissues. And in addition, the role of these specific proteins in disease like myocardial infarction. But I remember this moment, you know, every time Yossi Orli, my, my mentor, used to go on stage, he used to say, placenta is a use and throw organ. This is the nature's garbage. And I used to say, it cannot be. It's the youngest and freshest organ of all. We have to find something to do with it. <laughs> and, you know, taking me, you know, many years um, as speeding it up, um, this idea that later on uh, developed and uh, became part of Minovia to use uh, mitochondria for therapy um, started from isolating mitochondria from placentas. It took us almost nine years. Uh, we are going to dose the first patient uh, by the end of this year with oh, placental wow. mitochondria. <laughs> nice. But just imagine from the concept, from the idea when it's just born, until the first patient in, there was, you know, a whole <laughs> um, series of events that I'm happy to share. So the PhD was in, uh, in biochemistry um, from the Hebrew University. And then, you know, Yossi said, you have to go do a postdoc uh, outside of Israel. You have to experience this amazing um, um, trip for the family and for, for an adventure. So we packed everything. We packed three girls, <laughs> eight suitcases, and we sold everything that we had. And we moved to Canada. We moved to Montreal. And, and, at, that, and at that point, you, you were mindset to go back to academia. So it's a postdoc for, yeah. for the experience or? No, it was, that's what I knew the options are. I mean, if you want to be a researcher, you go, you do a postdoctoral fellowship, and then you come back and you fight for position. That's, that was the idea. But it was important for me that that uh, adventure will be a very positive, um, uh, a positive thing for the family as well, and not only for me as a scientist. Uh, so we went for, to a place where my husband could get immediate work a permit, uh, which was in Canada. Montreal was beautiful and uh, bilingual, so we thought that's a good place. And McGill University was a very good university. But, you know, very unexpectedly, after two and a half months, we, we decided to go back. Uh, there was, it was too cold for us, you know, oh, in wow. terms of, you know, the, being far from the family and um, it, many compensations you make when you are, you know, away from everything that you are used to. And that was the hardest decision I've ever made, I think, as a person, you know, to pack everything back. <laughs> After we rented a house, furnished it, bought a car, and all the girls were already in, in school and in kindergarten. And then all of a sudden, you know, we say, it's not working. We have to was, go back. Was it middle of the winter? It was just the beginning of the winter. We only oh. got a minus four. <laughs> and they said, oh, wow. I remember when we bought the car, they said there is, um, you can start the engine from, from home. You, know, from, mm -hmm. you have a remote. And I said, why do you need to do that? Said, because <laughs> it's minus 20. <laughs> you can just, you cannot go out into the frozen cars and wow, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> Anyway, the cold was all over. It was also, you know, a personal feeling of you are far from the ones that you love and from their comfort. And I didn't really, I wasn't sure that that's the right thing for me. It was opening that option 
of mm-hmm. doing a postdoc abroad and then coming back for academia. But I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. So this unknown, if I'm if even going to use it or not, you said it's not worth it. Um, you know, wow. it's, so it's such a brave decision to, to, <laughs> to, to pack back because, you know, yeah. we've always been taught, you know, you start your path and you finish it. And And I think it's it, I think it's brave to say, "You know what? this is just not working for me and 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 to take everyone back, that's incredible. yeah, I think yeah. only only today we had a, we had a conversation uh, uh, that me and Lena were aware of and in another aspect of our life that dealt with this sunken cost. So we put in so many years, and we haven't got to the uh, to the result we thought it would. gain us so we're not uh, in the we're not in the position to get to get a PI position okay and um, mm-hmm. did we fail we not like uh, are we giving up or what what mm-hmm. we like we're going back that's uh, so so really deciding after two and a half months that to come back that's super not only brave but honest it's uh, like you said we realize it's not good and Yeah, it's this uh, moment where you have to um, make a decision really fast because the other, if you wait, even just you, you say, I'm going to give it another chance, although you know that the chances are really low that this is going to work out for the whole family because there are many different elements that you need to consider. And if we suffer a little bit more, we just get used to suffering. That's what human beings are. You know, I, I'm just going to try. I'm suffering, but I will try a little bit more. And then we get used to suffering. And I could have completed that, but I realized that the price is going to be too high for everyone. And I just wasn't sure that it's worth it. And I didn't know what's going to come after even. So, um, so anyway, I did. It was a hard decision. But when we came back, we just didn't look back. I was like crazy looking for where I'm going to do my postdoctoral fellowship because I was hungry. I wanted to continue. I knew it wasn't enough. What I got in the PhD was amazing and curiosity was all over it. And, and my mentor was just amazing. He really developed me to the person that I am today, uh, encouraging curiosity and expertise. He used to always... Every time he used to meet me, he said, "Remind me what, what you are doing?" And I said, "What is it? Is he the ma- <laughs> Does he have dementia or something?" But it wasn't. It's just telling me, "You are the expert in what you do. And whatever it is that you are doing, no one is better than you. You know it the best." So it was just him practicing me, telling again and again what it is that I know, and every time something, ed- something else was added. So this. You know feeling of expert in a field was very encouraged by by the mentor so we came back and i didn't give it much time to to look back and i started um, the postdoctoral fellowship at the weizmann institute and and for me it was all about you know the science and understanding more and more into processes it was it was fascinating um but it was ideas of others And I knew that if I want to do something that is independent and let my brain fly with ideas, it has to either be my own lab, which the chances are really low if you are not doing a postdoc outside of Israel, um, or start my own company. There wasn't too much um, possibilities. And even though I knew this, I, I said, this time I have to, I, I'm, I'm, this is how I am. I just start something 
all the way. So I finished the postdoctoral fellowship um, and I had two great mentors, uh, also because one wasn't enough, so it wasn't challenging <laughs> enough, so I opened it up to another one um, and also focused on mitochondria. So it's, you know, this concept of me becoming an expert to this amazing organelle uh, was there. I was, the curiosity was uh, really high. And then after three years, um, it was my husband who said, if we are going to stay close to the Weizmann Institute, you're probably going to just stay here because of so endless funding and, and the best place to do science in Israel. And let's just move, let's move far from this place so you can just think a little bit. <laughs> so we moved, I, I, we couldn't go too far, but Haifa was a, a good option for us. So we moved to the north with this, the three girls, amazing girls that we have. And I just stayed home for six months. It was a decision. I'm not going to start walking. I'm just going to think. Because there is a moment where we just need to stop for a second without running all the time. Because when you run, you don't have time uh, to think. Um, so this decision was brilliant. And really, I couldn't do it without uh, the support of Nisim. And um, so I sat home. It took about four months. But a very early at the stage when I was just thinking what I'm going to do with all this knowledge and how I'm going to make an impact in the world. It was, it happened really fast. I think after the first months it happened, it was, it was amazing. I was reading books and I was just sitting and staring <laughs> and, and then it came, it was such a simple idea, but it, I cannot explain that moment when I realized that, wait a minute, if that's true, this is going to change the world. It, and it, it was crazy. And the idea was so simple. It was like this moment when a light comes, <laughs> lighting up above your head in those cartoons. It couldn't be that simple. But if mitochondria, that used to be bacteria, and a billion and a half years ago entered into the developing cell during evolution, what if they still have this ability to re-enter cells? I mean, if we can, we can isol easily isolate mitochondria from every cell or every tissue. If I put mitochondria next to a cell, will it enter the cell? Because if that's true, I can actually take cells, load them with mitochondria, or maybe even inject mitochondria systemically through, through the body, and they will enter cells and enrich the cells um, um, mitochondrial population, creating more energy, more ATP that is needed for every process. And there isn't even one disease that I could think about that will not benefit from um, in increasing the energy um, content, except maybe for cancer, but that's also an interesting, interesting thing to consider because cancer actually is becoming more and more acknowledged as a metabolic disease. Uh, but that moment, um, you know, it, it changed everything. Because from that moment on, I couldn't, I was restless. I had to do something with it, but I don't have a lab and I cannot test this hypothesis. And I couldn't talk to anyone. So it was. And it's not yeah. just that. So you are at that point, you're a scientific expert with a vast training from academia. You probably were an expert also in how to run a research project in academia, how to write grants how to run, uh, how to collaborate within the academia, but you want to make it outside. So you have, an, you have a great idea. You understand the, uh, the biology through and through. How, like, 
go back to this moment, how you approach that, the, the gap that you need in order to translate it into a, your idea and your passion into a company? What, what, do you, what were the questions you were asking yourself? Where did you find answers? So I knew nothing about entrepreneurship. I, I didn't even knew the world, okay? It was just, <laughs> you know, I have an idea and I just want to do it. And the passion was so strong uh, because I knew that there is a huge unmet medical need. There are, there are no therapies for mitochondrial diseases. Uh, so definitely if that would work, it could be an answer. Uh, but I was very naive too. And the good thing that I had, my brother had a friend who, who had a startup, so he knew how to start. And he said, what you need to do, uh, first of all, you have to protect your ideas. But he wasn't from the field of biology and, and, and pharma. Uh, so his um, ideas of how to, to write a patent was very simple. You, know, you just write it down and submit a, um, a provisional patent application. It's simple, do it. Don't talk to anyone. That was the advice that he gave me, which uh, four years later, was I can tell you one of the worst advices I got because that's not how you should do it. You should actually uh, just don't fear to speak to anyone because, you know, someone told me on the way that if someone copies your ideas, it means you had a great idea. <laughs> so <laughs> try to be an expert because someone become an expert in that field, others will have a very hard time catching up. Um, on that one. So I did sit down and I, I wrote my provisional patent application, uh, which exposed me. I had to search for any possible prior or out uh, doing so. And I read how to write a provisional patent application, what you need to do that. And I read, I read application. I just sat and read tons of applications to understand what it means. And I had a friend who was with me at the Weizmann Institute and she left at the same time. She did her PhD and she left and she started working in a small incubator uh, in Rehovot. Um, it, it was a private in, uh, incubator uh, funded by private um, angel investors who were entrepreneurs themselves in the field of medical devices, chemistry, uh, brilliant people. And uh, she I didn't know that. She just told me she started walking somewhere and she wants to know what I'm going to do next. And I kept telling her, I have an idea, but I just let's wait until I'll protect it with, <laughs> because that friend, <laughs> that my brother's friend said, yeah, don't talk to anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so then we met after four months that I was sitting home uh, after I wrote the application and I, I told her. And it was just across the street from the office where she was walking. And she looked at me and said, wow, that's, that's amazing, an amazing idea. Uh, and how are you going to implement it? I said, I don't know. I'm just, you know, writing now the first investor deck <laughs> with no help. I had no one to consult with. And, um, and I just started, started to think what would be the first indication that we will go to. And actually, it was uh, obesity. I thought I'm going to turn white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue. I didn't even think how I'm going to introduce more mitochondria into all this white adipose tissue <laughs> in a 150 kilogram person or something. It was just crazy. But it's, it was, I just had to choose something to focus on. Otherwise, it was too broad and no one will pay attention. And we finished a nice lunch after an hour and a half, me, me and this friend. And we walk out. I go to the train station in Rehoven and she walks to the, to the office. And five minutes later, she calls me and she said, do you have five minutes? Can you come back? And I say, 
okay. And I, I stepped back to, to, to the office and there was an amazing man there, a gentleman called Defaima Aronson. And he said, Katie told me about your idea. It sounds amazing. Can I, can I show you something? And then he walks me to a huge lab, another tissue culture place, uh, offices, a conference room. And he said, will this be enough for you? And I'm looking at him and said, Kathy, what's going on? I said, don't you know, I'm working in an incubator and Ephraim is one of the investors and they are looking for cool ideas to invest in. And, and, and I'm saying, well, Incredible. this is amazing. It was, you know, <laughs> I'm the luckiest entrepreneur in the world. <laughs> and he said, come back in two weeks, present your idea and my partners will be there, will be here. And then we'll decide how to move forward. And that's how Minovia started. You know, I started drafting a program and a plan and they were amazing. They are like people that um, looked at me and said, you know, we don't know if it's working or not, but if it is, we know how big this could be. And we are only investing in things that could become huge. That's, that's our uh, agenda. Uh, so they are angel investors. They understand in the business world, but nothing in biopharma. Um, so we had, you know, I had no mentorship in terms of how to produce a drug or therapy, but I had, um, an opportunity and we, we signed an agreement that we are going to do a proof of concept experiment, which was of course, do mitochondria re-enter cells. They will fund this experiment. I will get access to the labs. And then after the proof of concept, if indeed mitochondria can enter cells then we start a company together we are partners uh, we decided on percentage how much they take how much i keep and they committed to fund the company for an additional one million dollars and and you know that's how that's how it started but at that point who so they're investors there could be they they have they have uh, they have an interest at the end okay and they have to they they have to promote you and they as great as they are and that sounds amazing um they have to to report back to their stakeholders mm -hmm. who who are you advise like who advised you all of those like financial stuff that's mind blowing i went through this uh, at the first year in my startup it's it's I spent nights reading about cap tables, just understanding how <laughs> things are working there. Uh, who are you addressing to, like, for advice in that matter? It's a good question because I really knew nothing about this world. Um, if you ask me today, today I know much more, and I, I'm, I'm much less naive, and I know that there is much more that I don't know. Today we are talking about taking the company maybe public, and you know, there's so many aspect that we still need to continue and learn. But at that point, I knew nothing. What I have as a person is the ability to, um, to trust. And I trusted those people. They weren't a VC. They were private seed investors. It, mean, it meant that they only invest in very, very early stages. And they knew that the company will still raise a lot of money and they will be significantly diluted. They cannot invest in later stages because you need a lot of money. They only invest in very early stages. That's their concept. But there is a lot of trust that you have to build here. What I knew is that I could count, and I don't know why. I don't know, something in my feeling 
they were very honest people. Their decision to invest in me was so brave in my eyes because I came with nothing and they gave a chance. So I had to trust them. If you don't trust your partners, just don't go there. That's a huge mistake. Now, it could have taken a longer time. I agree. I could have said, listen, I need to study this a little bit more. I need to consult. Let me... Now, I, in the process, I even went uh, to VCs to let them hear you know, the story and let them think. And, and I got very good advices. It was too early for a VC, of course. But I just... I knocked on the door and I said, I want you to hear me out and let me know what you think. And they looked at my very poor presentation and they gave me some feedback. So, but eventually I went with them. It was, you know, I just had to trust them because they gave me a chance. It's not trivial. Uh, so this, it's relationships. And all the way, it's all about relationships. How can a parent trust you to treat their child if you're not creating this environment of trust. And at first it's very personal, but then you have to build this trust culture in a company level. I mean, all the employees need to speak the same language and transfer that. So that's the basics, which I think today, you know, managing 43 people globally in three different locations, I can tell you that this trust and acknowledgement that we cannot do anything by ourselves alone. It's all about collaborating and sharing this interest and, and the goals and the missions that we, we've taken uh, because this is a huge, huge mission to create a drug even for one simple disease, one, not simple, but one small indication of 150 patients in the world. Now, who goes there? It's it's crazy and so much effort and so much money needs to be spent into this. It's all about trust and you can never do it alone. If someone thinks he can do it alone, it's a, it's a huge mistake. It's trusting in your advisors, trusting in your board of directors, trusting in your investors, in your team, in your employees, always reflecting to them that this is a joint mission and the responsibility is for all of us and together with the community, of course, with the patient, with the patient advocacy groups. But this is something that I didn't know at that point. I didn't. All I did is giving it a chance and trusting those people. And I can't tell you why exactly, but it just, it just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I, I choose babysitters a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just need to trust them, right? Like, <laughs> if they feel intelligent and kind and then it's it's probably it's going to be okay <laughs> um i wonder so you stepped out of the academia right so you you were an expert on mitochondria so you brought that knowledge with you to these labs but what about the business side like did you get support from them um in order to build sort of what do you do next obviously you did your experiments i guess were you doing them yourself yeah, I was doing them myself. I, I had a lot of fun. The only disadvantage was that I had to drive from Haifa to Rehovot and back every day. It spent almost five hours <laughs> on, on just traveling. But uh, yeah, I was doing them myself. It was a struggle because, you know, even their labs, they weren't equipped enough. And I, I had to pay for other uh, labs to do some services. And, and the funding was very limited at the beginning because we didn't yet... Uh, 
um, raised money for the company. Uh, but I did it myself and the science was, was amazing. And, you know, I decide what the outline of the experiment will look like. I, I perform, I analyze, and I present it to them. They helped me um, later on in incorporating the company and doing all the bookkeepings and they had their facilities and people so they could really help a lot. And they had access to many angel investors for the first million dollars that we needed to start the company, they had access. And it was me and Katie that um, the, the friend that brought me to them actually moved from a different project that they had, moved to work with me on the, um, uh, establishing Minovia. And then we brought another, um, another uh, friend who was a PhD at the Weizmann Institute, another mitochondrial expert, and she joined the company as a scientist. Um, I was back then, I was the chief scientist of the company and Katie was the general manager. And we started moving on to bring this, you know, in terms of the business, what is a cap table or how do you approach uh, investors, etc. They were very helpful, the, the initial, the, the founders, co-founders of the company. Uh, but then when we needed to choose an indication, how do you explore the market? Uh, how do you understand regulatory aspects of a drug product? Uh, that was, it wasn't very successful at first. And after three years, the company almost closed. We raised money. We went to, um, we took a, um, an external advisor that helped us uh, develop a plan for an indication called, um, uh, it was um, CLI, um, uh, critical limb ischemia was when you don't have blood flowing to your extremities and then it comes to amputations, no, no drugs available. We had a preclinical experiment showing 100% blood flow recovery to the limb of a mouse after hind limb ischemia. It was amazing. No one had seen such a result. We were all dazzled uh, mm -hmm. by this single injection of mitochondria into the limb. It was really amazing. And then we raised money. It, yeah, we raised money and... Uh, we went to for a plan based on this advice from an ex external advisor who said scale up your manufacturing processes uh, do high purity mitochondria isolation and then go and, and uh, inject so it almost failed we raised money we went to that scale up of manufacturing processes high purity mitochondria and we went back to the model the animal model for efficacy and it doesn't work zero no blood flow recovery and we were all shocked. We just raised money. We have new investors. What do we do? And it was a point where, you know, my, this is where uh, good co-founders and, and amazing people could really come up and, and be and show how trust is important. So they said, you know, uh, we invest in many companies. And this is something that every entrepreneur will hear. There is a chance of one in 10 on the good, you know, on, on good side. <laughs> that it will succeed and sometimes it fails. So after three years, you know, we can say, okay, we, we tried, it's not working. Let's close up and return the money to the investors and go home, nothing happened. It's okay, Natalie, don't take it hard. It's, you know, it just <laughs> happened. And I was shocked, you know. But you knew <laughs> it's working. I, I knew, I had no doubt it was like more than 100% that there will be mitochondrial therapy. It's only about whether it's us or not. And I knew we had a huge advantage because we were first. Things, 
papers started to come up with mitochondria entering cells and transferred between cells. And I knew it's going to come. It's, it's, it was just a matter of time. And I told them, listen, let, let's just think for a second. I agree. I totally agree. In industry, you cannot now spend the money you have on trying to understand a failure. You don't have enough. Maybe if you're Biogen or Novartis, you have enough money to do that, but not in a small start startup that have a million dollars in the bank. That's just not enough. So I agree, we should not try to uh, analyze this and try to, uh, to um, understand what failed and what's working and what not. But let's stop wasting money. Let's just stop spending. So we let everyone go. We stopped paying rent for the labs. We really stopped everything. And I returned back home, said I'm going to stay home and just let's think about it before we close everything. And, and there was a board meeting coming up and they were asking to sign on closing the company and returning the money to the investors. And at that night, I just didn't sleep at night. Me and Nisi, my husband, we were just sitting and thinking. And he said, you know, if they close, it means you don't pay for the patents anymore. So they are lost. Everything is lost. Everything you did in the last three years is just lost. And we came in the morning, they were sure we were going to sign on closure. And we came with an idea. And I, tell, I told them, you know what? There is in Israel, there is the angelos. And if we, uh, what it means is that investors uh, get a tax return on their money that they invested. Uh, it means that if we keep the company running and we continue to do R&D, the investor will get more money from tax returns than if we close now and we distribute what we have back. And it was, you know, we knew this and, and that was the point where that could actually save the company. And all agreed that indeed it's a better thing to do, <laughs> but only if you have a real R&D plan. So I told them, give me some time and I'm going to come up with that plan. Um, and everything changed at that moment. I had another very, I was very lucky again, four months of just sitting at home and thinking. And the technology completely changed because I said, we cannot lose what we learned in the last three years. Let's use that to understand what the technology is going to look like. And there were many, many lessons learned from regulatory aspects and, and many other things. Uh, that made us switch the technology completely. So at the beginning, it was direct injection of mitochondria to muscle or to the eye or to the bloodstream, etc. And the understanding that there are going to be many, many regulatory um, uh, uh, problems that we will need to face. Um, I just realized we have to use the cell therapy to introduce the mitochondria throughout the body. And that's how mitochondrial augmentations therapy actually started. Uh, so the idea changed completely. The technology, the product, the drug changed completely. And the indication, I, what I learned is that if you go to rare diseases, there are much higher chances of success and less funding is required to approve a therapy. So we switched indication, we changed the technology, we changed the concept. I really had to change everything. The, the deck looked completely different. Presentation. So the new technology was that you were taking cells in vitro and, and, and injecting them with the micro, letting the mitochondria enter them and then putting back the cells and not yes. the mitochondria by themselves. Exactly. Yeah, wow. that's so, the idea. So like employing the, the idea behind like immune therapy in vitro. Exactly. Therapy. 
Exactly. And just like in gene therapy, we chose indications where the problem is a mutation or deletion in the mitochondrial DNA. So if we introduce mitochondria into the cell, normal mitochondria, they bring in their normal mitochondrial DNA. So it's a kind of a gene therapy, only the vector is a natural vector that resides in the cell naturally, which is the mitochondria. That was okay. the idea. So at that point, Incredible. you said you said that at that point, like you you let uh, most of the people go, right? You downsized. Yeah. Okay, so it was you and a team of just you. None. None. <laughs> just me again. <laughs> so, how you dealt with this sense of responsibility? So you know the idea is great. Uh, but you have you have like how you how you deal with that because there is a lot of conversation about about imposter syndrome especially with postdocs that you know you get to to a level that you get to a very we, for us for example we leave Israel we get into Harvard to MIT to greatest places in, on earth and then we fail because everybody fails and we start asking ourselves. Do we really belong here? How like are, is our science as good as we think it is? So how you how you got past this? It seems like the, this is the, the the tidal moment for this. Yeah, it's it's a very um, it's a very strong power that drives you to believe in what you are doing and to make sure that you don't give up too fast. Because it's very easy to say, well, you know, it's very hard to continue and, and to make everyone believe that you are right, because that's what we do all day. We just convince <laughs> everyone that what we say is true and, and that we need to continue. Um, so it's much easier to say it's too hard. I'm not going to continue. Um, it's much harder to say I'm going to pursue what I believe in and I'm going to to. Uh, convince everyone that I'm right. Um, so the concept was at that point is is the change in um, my understanding that uh, unlike the previous round where we didn't speak to anyone, we were too afraid that someone will steal our idea or do something similar or uh, it was just changing the concept. Now I'm going to talk to everyone and anyone who wants to give me a good idea or a good advice or help me in any way, I'm going to accept because it is impossible to do this by myself. I stayed alone, alone for three years in the company after that moment. At the beginning, I didn't have any salary. You know, the passion in believing in something has costs. And the cost was that for several months I wasn't paid, but it was it was my responsibility to the investors and to the funding that we got from them that I'm going to do my best now to, be, to bring a real plan. And once there is a real plan, I'm going to work on trying to funding it and bring more investors to, to, to take the burden. And then I'm going to start all over again. But this concept of, of let's just consult, let's talk to people, let's see, maybe someone wants to help. You have no idea how many doors opened. You have no idea. And we, you know, when we think about how uh, Israelis are different and as entrepreneurs, 
I can tell you two things take over from my feeling. It's the courage. We have just no fear. We are not afraid that someone will tell us no and it's a stupid idea and go back home and you know, we just don't, you know, we, we face it. It's okay. Even for one year, we, we can, we can uh, face a thousand no's. That's fine. So this courage and, and um, the other thing is really that we are really, um, we are, we, we, we can, we can find a way to always, um, how does it called? It's like um, you give and take. You give and take. You come to someone and tell him, you know, you know, what are you doing? You know, I can, I, I can hear you out. Tell me what you are doing. And then I can give him an advice. And then I tell him, you know what? I want something back from you. You don't really say it, but we are all socharim. You know, we trade. And this is, I think it's an amazing uh, thing about Israeli um, entrepreneurs. I, I opened up completely at that point. I said, I want to give from my expertise and I want to get back from someone. I want people to teach me and to help me shift it up again because I know I have a good idea. I believe in it. I know that there is going to be a therapy. So what I did, I just, I, I consulted with every possible, I didn't say no to no one. Everyone who wanted my help, everyone who wanted my advice, I said yes. Every time I went for someone, I had no fear. And I asked for his advice. He felt that I am open to receive. And this is something that we have to reflect. Otherwise, if we are close and we are fear, we have fear that someone will steal our idea, or maybe we have fear to share some information. We are protecting some secrets or something. The other side doesn't give back. It's down, just locked. And I opened up. And for three years, I received so much. You, you just, you have no idea how much. And some of this, it's, it's pure luck, I would say, or destiny. Because, you know, the disease that we are targeting today, I've never heard about it. I've actually never heard about before that, mm -hmm. you know, decision of going to rare diseases. Never heard of any of those rare diseases. Not Pearson syndrome, not Lee not KSS, not Milas, Merf, never heard of them. They were too <laughs> rare for me to know about. And so I'm a mitochondrial expert. So, so how you got, so this, this indication came from a, an external advice? No, it, it came from, you know, it's just, that's how it was supposed to be. I, I have to tell you, I have no, I don't have, a, from that point on, I don't have any more scientific rationale to what I'm going to tell you, okay? <laughs> just listen, it's amazing. I, I was at that point when I, didn't, I wasn't got paid, I, I found a house in another amazing biotech company here in Israel um, that I actually offered them to buy the company. And I'm not going to, to, to say the name, I don't want to hurt anyone else, but um, the CEO was an amazing person. They just said, you know, for two months, he tried to convince me to stop with this crazy idea of mitochondrial therapy and to come join his company and work in R&D. And uh, he was really nice and I liked the conversations, but I had to convince him that he's wrong and mitochondrial therapy <laughs> is the right thing to go. <laughs> and after two months, he said, you know, you are crazier than me uh, and I want to help you. So let's do a collaboration. He gave me uh, a bench in his lab. He gave me an office. Uh, he even paid for my consulting services uh, as a mitochondrial expert. 
and we created the field of research where I contributed for my science to their research. And I got access to labs and, and, and I could work in their facilities, which was amazing. And you know what, today it's like this, move this forward. I want to do the same for anyone who comes to me and he doesn't have labs and he doesn't have the ability. I want to open up this opportunity. I did it once, I will do it more. It's an amazing feeling of helping others without only seeing yourself. So that's what he did. And, and um, so I, I was lost. I didn't have money. I had a little money that was less, left before and these kind people help and advise all over. It wasn't only him, it was really everyone else. And then I meet a lady uh, at the parking uh, slot of my building and I only met her once and she tells me, you know, I was thinking about you. I was in the seminar uh, from the Mirage Foundation. It's a billionaire from um, California who funds uh, Israeli entrepreneurs um, two weeks in California in a five-star hotel and he brings experts in whatever you need. If it's is, uh, um, bio um, biotechnology or medical devices or whatever he brings the experts to you regulatory experts and advisors and medical experts and head of hospitals and investors two weeks two amazing weeks you have to go and i told her you know i had already four girls by, back then and i told her you know the company is really doing bad i don't know what will happen maybe in two months we will just close and so it's a shame take someone else I said no 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 you have to talk to this manager and I call Chaim. Chaim was the, the head of that program, the Mirage program. And he told me, yes, Tamar told me about you. You have to come. And I'm telling him, you know, it's, it's really is a shame. Don't waste your money on me. Give it to someone else. And he said, well, no matter what you'll do, uh, this is going to help you. Um, so I was struggling and um, I didn't know if I'm going to go or not, you know, four girls, two weeks in California, five stars hotel, you know, I felt, you know, I'm not, I don't deserve it even. <laughs> Here's and, the imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get a message by WhatsApp from a guy telling me, hello, Natalie, this is uh, Erez. I have a friend who lives in Los Angeles and he heard that you are coming to California and he has a child with Pearson syndrome. And I'm, I'm all shiver now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I Google Pearson syndrome because I never heard about it. And, you know, I told you that the, the transformation of the idea became that I'm going to collect hematopoietic stem cells from patients and enrich them with mitochondria, do the enrichment step ex vivo, and then they infuse the cells back. And the idea behind the hematopoietic stem cells is that they can home back to the bone marrow, proliferate, and uh, proliferate also the mitochondria. And then systemically, this could transfer cells and mitochondria throughout the body to every organ because mitochondrial diseases are multi-systemic diseases. You have to target the brain, the pancreas, the ki kidney, the liver, the heart. How do you do that? And hematopoietic stem cells are ideal for that. But it was theoretical. I had no way to prove it because there wasn't a model even for mitochondrial diseases. And then I Googled Pearson syndrome. And Pearson syndrome, amazingly, is the only mitochondrial disease that is actually a hematological disorder wow. that starts with the bone marrow. And there is a bone marrow failure. The patients are acellular. And I looked at it and said, that's unbelievable. Because if I prove that it works in Pearson syndrome, which is the worst disease of all mitochondrial diseases, 
even if I'll just rescue the bone marrow, that would be amazing as a first start. If I influence their diabetes, their kidney insufficiency, their dementia, their muscle weakness, their vision loss, their hearing loss, which is all present in a young child with Pearson syndrome, that would be remarkable. And the other point was that we were still start struggling where to take the mitochondria from. Uh, I told you about the placenta idea, which mm -hmm. I always kept in mind, but I was, I was a little bit um, concerned by using an allogeneic mitochondria source. And Pearson is the only mitochondrial disease that is not inherited from the mother. It took me five minutes. I read this um, in, in, in Wikipedia. <laughs> what is Pearson syndrome? It's a hematological disease. The mother is not a carrier of the deletion. It's a deletion in the mitochondrial DNA. How easy it will be to just take one blood unit from the mother, isolate mitochondria, healthy mitochondria for her child. You know, we all get mitochondria only from the mother. So she's the perfect donor of mitochondria for her child. And said, so this is unbelievable. Where did this came from? I mean, person <laughs> syndrome, a hundred cases in the world. And I have a chance to go to California immediately. I called Chaim and said, I'm coming and I'm going to meet this father. And, and it was an enlightening mo moment. We met in the lobby of the hotel where that course was going on. And he told me about his child, Palsis. Uh, they are from Iran, this family, and they came, they're not Jewish, they came to California, a, a young couple with, a, she was eight and a half years old when I met him, a devastating disease. By then, she was already di complete diabetic. She had complete kidney insufficiency. She was on dialysis. She wasn't walking at all. She wasn't even able to stand. She was sitting in a, in a wheelchair, not seeing, it, it was terrible for me, just the understanding of what the disease is. And I was sitting with him and I was telling him the idea and he looks at me and he said, this is it, this is it, it's going to work. And I, I'm telling him, listen, Pedram, it's, you know, it's, it's so early, we, I have nothing, it's a theoretical idea. I didn't even know how to isolate mitochondria from blood. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't know if CD34 positive cells will be enriched with blood mitochondria. I didn't know because I didn't try it. It was just a theoretical idea. And he said, by, by, but I know, that it's going to work. And <laughs> what do you need? I said, well, we could try a compassionate youth program. Let me talk to your doctor. And he puts me in contact with his doctor the same day. And what he do more, he places a, a post on, on Facebook for the group of parents, global group, group of parents of all Pearson syndrome in the world. And he says, I met this lady from Israel. Uh, she's doing science and she's trying to develop a therapy for Pearson syndrome. You can imagine that in the next 24 hours, I received emails from every parent in the world, from Australia, from Poland, from uh, Russia, from the US, from Canada, from everywhere. And one patient from Israel. I couldn't believe that there is a Pearson patient in <laughs> Israel. It was, it was amazing. And they could not believe that someone from, you know, from US found me before they. <laughs> Um, I spoke to his doctor and he completely panicked. He said, no, 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 you have to, you have, to have an IND. Uh, you have to talk to the FDA. And I said, you know, okay, so that will take about three years, of course, up to, until I have an IND. Um, but I, what I promised him that after I returned to Israel and I met with the Israeli 
family. And I told them I need to talk to your doctors. And I spoke to their doctors, which is a whole amazing story that also happened with the physicians in Sheba. And uh, I realized that we could do compassionate use therapy in Israel. That's right. Um, and I promised that father that if we'll do compassionate use in Israel, we can, we are allowed to dose up to three patients. We'll do the first Israeli child and then we'll bring his daughter to Israel and we will treat her. Um, and then in the next six months, I entered the lab and I didn't go out until I knew (laughs) that I have the ability to isolate mitochondria from blood cells, that I have the ability to enrich CD34 positive cells with mitochondria, and until I did a talk study in mice, and all alone, I was alone, there was no Mm -hmm. one. And and I I, uh, wrote the clinical protocol uh, with the physicians from Shiba. I submitted to the IRB, I was in the IRB, I was amazed to see how, you know, they were intrigued with the possibility to treat such a rare disease with relatively a very safe process. Uh, it was approved. I went to the Ministry of Health to get their advice and they gave their blessing. Uh, I um, produced the first clinical batch in GMP, Good Manufacturing uh, Process Facilities. Uh, and I know to do that. Yeah, uh, it's so, so many things that usually you hire an army of people to do, like scaling up, BMP, uh, uh, regulatory affairs. Today, I know. I was very naive. I didn't know, but I consulted. I remember I received on LinkedIn, someone came to, uh, wrote me that she was looking for a job and she was a quality assurance in a cell therapy company. And I said, wow, I guess I need someone like that, but I didn't have money to hire her. But I was brave enough to tell her, let's meet. And we met in, in a coffee in Tel Aviv, in a coffee shop in Tel Aviv. And I told her very honestly, you know, Adas, I cannot pay you. I don't have money, but let me tell you what I'm doing. And, and she, was, she was crying and she said, you know, I want to help you. I'm, you know, I'm unemployed now. I'm looking for my next challenge. I don't want to take anything. So I'm just, I'm very picky now on where I want to walk. And she volunteered to help me doing things like I never heard about, like BPR and SOP and GMP and, <laughs> and QA and QC. And I did the first patient as, as if it was a clinical batch. Today we do it much better with an army as, with, of people, as you say, and with experts. But I had to take whatever there was available back then. And I did it. I did GMP manufacturing uh, of the first cell therapy uh, product uh, that I was... I will tell you the, the first, can, can we, are we okay with time? Yeah. yeah. I, I have this is going to be our longest episode and it's beautiful. <laughs> two hours, two hours. When I was waiting, it's a 24 hour process. Okay. So we manufacture the mitochondria from the blood of the mother. We freeze them and then we have time. Okay. We can freeze the mitochondria. And then the next stage, we dose the patient with GCSF. Uh, which mobilizes the stem cells to the peripheral blood. And then we do a process called apheresis. We collect the cells from the blood. We isolate for the stem cells, the CD34 positive cells. And then we receive the cells. This is all done in the clinic. And then we receive the cells to the GMP facility. And we do the enrichment with the mitochondria. We throw the mitochondria. We do the incubation with the cells. It's a 24 hours process. And the day after, we check that indeed the mitochondria entered the cells, so we have a release test to show that they, indeed the mitochondria entered. 
and now we have cells enriched with mitochondria and we do the sterility testing to know that the product is sterile we pack in a, a infusion bag and we go to the um, uh, to infuse the cells to the patient okay at noon that day when i was waiting for the results of the QC, which I was doing, yes. I was doing the QC test to release the product, <laughs> and the patient was hospitalized in Sheba uh, until we will be ready. Uh, the first dose was done under hospitalization because we, will, we didn't know what the reaction will be. And the mother calls me crying. She said, you will not believe it. We, we got the same room where we were um, diagnosed, the same room where we got this worse, um, um, prediction of a Pearson, Pearson, Pearson syndrome uh, that Asaf has. It was when he was three years old. At that point, when we treated him, he was six and a half year old. And, he, and you know, she said, this is, it's just, you know, unbelievable. <laughs> we are in the same room. We are going to bring him back life. So no, his life back. No pressure at all, Natalie. Yes. <laughs> We're going to save this patient's life. I complete the QC test and I go to Shiba and I stand in the lobby of this huge hospital. You know the lobby of in Shiba? And it's 7.30 p.m. and at 9 p.m. I need to go back to the GMP facility and, and, um, and pack the cells in the, in the infusion bag for the patient. And I stand there and I panic. It, it was a complete panic attack. I started crying like crazy and I, I told myself, go home, run, what are you doing? All this huge responsibility, only on you, you did everything. Who are they, are they going to blame if something goes wrong and you don't even know if it's going to work and what if something bad will happen, an allergic reaction to something, I don't know what even. And I completely panicked. It was, you know, it was the hardest 30 minutes I was crying. And then I just, you know, I said, okay, you have no choice, just go and do it. And at 11 p.m., I was standing in, the, uh, in room number 13 in the hemato-oncology department in Sheba with the physician, amazing Dr. Elad Yaakovi, uh, with the parents, with the nurses. And Elad connects the cells, the infusion bag, to the child who is lying sleeping uh, in his bed. He was, Asaf was... Um, 14 kilograms at the age of six and a half. He was wow. with a pacifier. He looked like a three years old. He was so tiny, so tiny in his bed. It's one of the, the, the symptoms is failure to thrive. They just don't grow. And I see the cells just slowly um, uh, dropping into his vein. And it was a moment that I, I will never forget. I will never. And it was so fast, you know, they were just, that's it, done. <laughs> done. And we were all, we couldn't move. We stayed there hours, just, you know, after 30 minutes, all of, he wakes up and he looks around. He pulls out his pacifier and he said, I'm hungry. I want to eat an omelet. And, and he's not, he's tube fed. He doesn't eat. And the mother said, you know, this is amazing. It's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> it will take months now until we see something. But it was, it was an inspiring moment in my life. You know, I gave birth of three beautiful, four beautiful girls. And, you know, that, that moment was the best moment ever. If you take me back to that decision of we have, we have to pack back and come back to Israel after that, you know, two and a half months in Montreal, how lucky I was. 
<laughs> to get to be so brave and say we don't suffer we return and i take responsibility of what i do next that moment you know that's it and since then with those 12 patients we see patients you know getting up from their wheelchairs and starting walking wow. we you know it's 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 an amazing feeling and although you know we still need to prove that it's beyond just natural history of the disease and we need a controlled trial and to do everything that the fda asked us it's you know, nothing resembles you know this feeling that you help children especially in children yeah. uh it's an amazing feeling and you know it's so much so much help happened after i told you you know after i dosed asaf we dosed Kati from Russia and we dosed Parsis from, from the US, that patient that's really, thanks to her, I know what Pearson syndrome is. Um, and we started all over. We raised money. So far, we've raised $25 million, uh, all from angel investors, mainly Israeli wow. investors. Uh, we are forced to. It's a lot of money for angels. Sorry? It's a lot of money for angels, right? Yes, yes, it is. I have the be best angels in the world. They are true angels and, and very rich angels. So I'm <laughs> very <laughs> privileged. Um, but now we target the really big money because now the commitments are uh, much higher. Um, we have 43 employees. We have operations in the US and in Europe. The salaries are much higher when you, you know, target professionals and experts. Um, advisors who are experts, FD, ex-FDA and ex-rare disease companies, and because there's so much help, we are only in the beginning. After all this, you know, still we are only in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so you still use hematopoietic stem cells, and the the idea has not changed that you will reach from the hematopoietic stem cells to the other tissues. Yeah, and the science, the science, we didn't talk about that, but you know, it, uh, two years ago, I called Noah and I told her, you have to come. Noah was, she's my chief scientist today. She was the one who did the PhD next to me, mm -hmm. bench to bench in Yossi Oli's lab. And I told her, you have to come. I need your help because the board of director decided that I'm going to be the CEO of the company. So I need a chief scientist. And what Noah have done in the last two years is remarkable. We know the science have progressed so much. I told you it was theoretical and we didn't have animal models to study whether indeed the cells engraft in the bone marrow, indeed there is transfer of cells to distal organs or that there is transfer of mitochondria between cells in the body. And today we have animal models. We have proved that indeed that happens. And indeed, mitochondria can persist in the body, transferred between cells in the hematopoietic system. We have shown that there is an amazing um, reaction of the, to the, of the immune system. We actually manipulate the immune system because those are hematopoietic stem cells. So the immune right. system is different. We cause a metabolic shift in those cells and the differentiation is different. And all of this is science that we didn't know and all generated in our labs. We now hire, now uh, recruited two, uh, um, we, she has in the group 
two amazing PhDs from uh, Israel and two postdocs that returned, uh, one from UK and one from the Broad Institute and came to work in Minovia with expertise in you know, bioinformatics. And uh, it was amazing. We, we wanted to hire a mitochondrial expert uh, because I said, now I'm busy with you know, being a CEO, so you need someone in your team. And we didn't even have a chance to post uh, the position when we got a call from uh, someone saying, we heard you talking in the Ilanit conference, and uh, I have a friend who finishes his po uh, postdoc uh, in UK. She's an expert to mitochondria in placenta. I said, <laughs> where do you find experts in mitochondria? Oh my God, you were touched by God. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Five minutes. It was a five minutes interview. Amazing uh, scientist. She's in Minovia. She came back in August and she started and it's, you know, it's, it was amazing. And also we have, you know, um, we have a student that finished at Tiosi Oli's lab. He now transfers students to us and she did her first degree and she really struggled whether to continue her academic research and studies or to come to the industry. And when Yossi told her you need to meet, she came, she gave it a chance. And she's amazing. And my dream is that um, employees of Minovia will be able to continue academic studies when they are doing research in an industry. So that GAT can continue to do uh, master's and PhD while she's doing research in mitochondrial augmentation therapy. And that uh, people who have a postdoctoral, uh, after postdoctoral fellowship that come to work in Minovia will be kind of PIs, will have their own mm -hmm. group with others and even do a collaboration with the academia so their employees can be students also in some academic uh, institute and they can continue their also their academic uh, interest right. that would be you know that would be the best thing that we can do but no one asked for that uh, the employees are you know they are um, they are doing great science they collaborate with academia uh, they um, bring new models and new methods and they develop and I'm sure they own. publish their, their work, right? They are now writing the first uh, preclinical publication. So, of course, all of them are on that publication. Everyone contributes something. And I can tell you that the major difference that I found between academic research to the, the, the research that is done in Minovia is that it's not a selfish research. You know, usually in academia, you have a goal you need to complete your PhD or you need to complete your postdoctoral fellowship. You have your own uh, study tasks uh, you, that you develop together with your PI. Here it's not, it's a company mission. We are all into this together. Don't worry if Moria has an experiment, an in vivo experiment that she needs now to harvest uh, uh, 300 tissues, the whole lab is there. The QC and the research and the manufacturing team <laughs> all are there to help her because it's, you know, it's a company goal. There isn't one selfish um, um, goal to, to achieve something. No, it's all of us. And when we collaborate with other academic or uh, hospital partners, we know that it's not about our ego. We step back. We say, you're first and last. Okay, no problem. You know, we don't care. We want to be there because we contributed. But it really doesn't matter for us. It's about the passion to contribute. The long-awaited teamwork. That's, I think that's the the thing I lack. I like. I I I miss most. Uh, yeah. Being a postdoc in in academia, the, living the in, individual dream is is okay, but it's being a part of a team behind one mission and one hypothesis. That's 
that's yeah. true force. So uh, when you collaborate, when you say collaboration with academia now, so how, how does it work? How you, how you um, connect with, with the PI? So you find something, some publication that is interesting or supportive of your, of your research path and what's next? How you convince them to collaborate? I think it's not about uh, convincing. It's we bring value because we are experts in what we do. And we acknowledge their value because they are experts in what they do. So for example, if now we want a collaboration on the immunology, because it's all new field for us. So we, we come to the experts in immunology and we say, this is what we bring. And this is the knowledge that you have. What about collaborating and measuring both things? And, and it's just joint curiosity and, uh, and th that's what drives science, no? And you know, in the, in the hospital, when I came to that meeting, the first meeting in Shiba, uh, to meet with the physicians and tell them about the idea to treat their patient, I, I stepped in the, into the room, it's a very small office of the head of the hemato-oncology department. I sat on the chair and I said, I know everything about mitochondria. I don't know anything about hematopoietic stem cell transplant. I'm here to learn and I'm, I'm willing to share my knowledge. And that was th the spirit. Ask me any question you want. I will do my best to answer. Uh, but when they said, you know, in every bone marrow transplantation, we condition the patient, which means we give chemotherapy. And I had to step up and say, no way we are going to condition this patient. He's a six and a half years old, 14 kilogram with Pearson syndrome, a metabolic disease. You want to give him chemotherapy, it will be, it, it would, could be deadly. I mean, and I, I had to reject because I knew mitochondria and I knew that they are going to be damaged even more. And this is a huge risk to the patient. But that's what they know. They know that they need to condition patients before you do bone marrow transplant. So, you know, we had to share this as a conversation to come up with the right protocol for that patient, that's the idea. It's a conversation. It's a give and take. And if, if the other side realize that, not always the institutions are aligned because sometimes the scientists really want to do science with industry, but the academic or the hospital will not allow joint IP or a give IP rights to the company. So sometimes it's more challenging, but for us, we really matured. At the beginning, I was really afraid that they will get hold on our patents. But today that we have our patents already, now if I, if I create new IP with a researcher, so that's fine, it's joint development. It's, I realized that he contributed as much as we did. So if it's a collaboration, just like the world means, then there is joint IP and we collaborate on that. So it's definitely, it, it's, you mature in the progress. There is so much that I've learned in the last eight years that I didn't know before, that you know, it's only from the experience and opening up, just don't be locked in your ideas. You know, it just yeah. is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think, I think this is like exactly what, I'm going through my mind in the last like I think 40 minutes hearing you it's amazing it's an amazing story but it's exactly that point that you that everything just was closing and it was just you and you decided instead of keeping everything in and as you said I'm going to share everything and and with I, I, I would call it that you, you spread your net 
So you network and, and things start coming in. And this is like, I think this is an amazing lesson for everyone, not only scientists or entrepreneurs to learn. It's just need to open up and, and trust people at, at a certain level, of course, and things will come in. The indication will come in. The the the, um, the meeting at the cafe with a Q, with a QA uh, person comes in and teach you anything. Yeah, that's I, I think the best lesson anyone can have can get. I think it's incredible they came in parallel, right? Because you you switched your whole technology and you switched your approach, which are seemingly two different things but I'm sure they sort of came together and made this all sort of possible. Yeah. Such true. an incredible story. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I, even now that I hear myself telling this story, I can, I can really acknowledge how both of these things had to happen at the same time to enable what we, we progress to be. It's, it's, it wasn't possible without that. You know, there is a billionaire who wants to, fly you to California and you say, no really <laughs> let me say yes yes I want to do it and I just and and from there it's really hard one of the things that Noah always struggles with me that is that I don't say no to anything so I just you know everyone who wants to meet yes let's meet everyone who wants to collaborate yes let's collaborate and he said she said you know so limited there are so limited resources and we don't have enough people and I always tell her it doesn't matter you know just like keep the conversation going keep the relationships going and some of them will hook up and we will continue them because there are so many elements that needs to come together for a collaboration to happen not always they happen because sometimes the interests are different but at least one or two or three eventually will happen you have to continue this dialogue you have to and then you expand to new areas which you know, like happens now for us with Shiba, the understanding that we are going, uh, hopefully soon, to build together a center for mitochondrial therapy, and there's going to be a special lab for mitochondrial science uh, in Shiba, and we are doing collaborations, and you know that can only accelerate. How can we panic about ownership and be all you know focused on ourselves in such circumstances? Someone wants to give, you take and you give back. That's it. It's you just just open up, and and that's the concept. Incredible, and I think it's incredible that when we, like, like I did a undergrad and masters, and then I worked in a lab, and then I I did my PhD, and then I did a postdoc, and I've never heard a story like this where you take. Um, you know, science, right? This is what we do. This is this is pure science, and and the translation is so sort of almost straightforward, and you never think about that this is at least a possible pathway for your science, right? Like it, it, like we always sort of stay in this bubble that it if you don't stay in the academia, it's it's a failure, but. <laughs> It's so incredible. Why would you want to stay in the academy <laughs> if this is, you know, a possible pathway forward? And yes, you have to be, you know, you have to come up with a good idea, but you can also, you know, be part of someone else's idea, like, like the scientists that have joined you uh, since you opened your, 
your company. And... So there are some disadvantages so that I have to be honest about because, you know, we are all eventually driven by the impact that our science does. And for me, the impact came from the patients. But for some, the impact comes from the acknowledgement from other academic partners. You know, getting the uh, prestige of publishing in the best, the best papers, etc. We did not give up on that. We will do that and we will publish. And it was a struggle with the scientific community. Okay, they are not used to an idea that was not developed in academia and does not have 30 years of ac academic research behind it to start in industry and to get the, the acknowledgement from the very prestige scientific community. I went to the world expert um, at the very, very early days and, and we flew to Germany to sit with him and he was amazing. He, he designed an experiment with us and he gave us materials and he said, if you do that, then you're right, it works. And we came back so hungry at those days and we did the experiment and it worked and we sent him the, the results and he said, yeah, but you know, I found a paper from 1982 in Nature that says that maybe mitochondria enters into cells. So actually it's not new. And that's how it stopped. You know, and wow. unbelievable. Okay, so you are looking for something really novel. You, you didn't, you know, even give it a chance. And then a few years later, when I already had the idea of let's use cells and reach them with mitochondria and treat Pearson patients or patients with mitochondrial diseases, I went to the second, or the first actually, biggest expert. <laughs> and, and I met with him and he said, you know, if that's true, that's unbelievable. I spent the last 40 years in understanding those diseases and I wished I could before I die to find a drug for those diseases. But such a simple idea, could it be? You know, and he asked himself, and you know, today we are, we are almost closing a collaboration agreement. And I'm so happy about that because he's the best in the world. There is no one that is more associated with mitochondria than this amazing researcher. And, you know, he gave it a chance. He said, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm interested and I want to hear more. And we continue to be in, in touch and I kept updating him and we met in conferences and then you start getting invites to conferences, which wasn't before. You know, and then you're invited speak, speaker and, uh, and physicians call you to advise on their patients and, and refer their patients to you. And it's, it's an amazing feeling. We all want this scientific acknowledgement by the community. Some of us need it more than others. I, at the beginning, I had to give up on that and focus on the interests of the company and bringing this to patients. But now we are back full speed and we want this science to be uh, accepted to the best papers, the best mm -hmm. journals in the world and to collaborate with the best scientists in the world. But we had to earn that. We couldn't do it at the first time. We had to learn to earn it. And if we could uh, engage uh, those KOLs in our scientific advisory board or, or clinical advisory board, which we, we have started to do so, then you know, we did it. And, but we had to walk out for it. <laughs> so that's the disadvantage of moving out from academia. You, had to, you have to slow down a little bit this academic uh, prestige hunt that we are in 
and say, well, I'm a little bit more modest now. I enter into a field this is new to me, but this is my goal now. I can continue and do great science afterwards too. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Wow. I, I, I still, it's, it's, it's incredible that you could do these treatments, right? <laughs> like just based on the idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy it, you could, because obviously you're, you're saving kids' lives. Um, but in the, US, know, in the US without an active IND, investigational uh, new drug um, um, designation, you cannot, and the process to get an IND is really, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing, regulatory process. In Israel, it is possible. Um, it's not that they eased the process. They just said it is po possible and now achieved the goals. And I told you, six months, I was just walking like crazy just to get those done. Uh, mm -hmm. But they give it a chance. Why? Because the disease is deadly in children. So it's very clear that at every given moment, this child could die. So what do you lose? So let's do a risk benefit analysis. Are you risking the child? What are the concerns? Actually, there were none. If they would have insisted on giving chemotherapy, then we are in trouble. But there was no conditioning. So the value that we will gain if we give a chance is not only the life of this patient, the possibility to give life to this patient, is the possibility to open the, the, the option for a technology that could treat tens of thousands of patients, which have nothing, nothing. No, there are no approved drugs for mitochondrial diseases in the US, nothing. They get supplements, vitamins, that doesn't help probably. No one proved that they do anything. So it, it was risk, risk benefit analysis that people here can do. And there is courage and trust and a lot of things, you know, in this, um, in this community that has to happen to enable such a therapy. It's a new, completely new concept to happen. So I agree, it's really amazing that they enabled this first therapy. You find, you find it harder to uh, raise funds in the US uh, because the, the clinical trials in Israel and not in the US? Absolutely. Now we are, we are in an active financial round and we targeted the big funds in the US. There was a lot of interest from um, U.S. investors, but they couldn't accept the valuations that were determined by the Israeli investors because there wasn't any VC and there wasn't a real due diligence process to the company. So a year ago, before COVID, we were struggling with the valuation. They really liked the technology. And today, when we move to even bigger investors, uh, it's about... You know, it, it does come up. You know, it's a, a trial in Israel, in Sheba. Um, so we opened a site in Cleveland. We have a manufacturing site now just outside of Cleveland Clinic. We have a collaboration with the Cleveland Clinic. We will start a pivotal trial um, early next year for Pearson syndrome in Cleveland Clinic. Uh, we have a collaboration with the CHOP, the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Um, we, we have um, KOLs from Mass General, from... Uh, UC San Diego from the best centers for mitochondrial uh, therapy. So yeah, we tell the US investors we are in the process. 
but it's it's not going to it cannot ch- stay just a Israeli company. R and D perfect, but we have to expand, especially in a personalized cell therapy. We have to have centers in every medical center in the U.S. Wow! So the science is amazing. The clinical side is amazing. What is the next step for Aminovia? Um, so the next stage is really to engage with the, with the best clinical centers in the U.S. We are in the process of this um, and opening a site, a clinical site in the U.S., engaging the best investors in the field of pharma uh, to finally get the acknowledgement that this is uh, the top biotech, just like in Cambridge or in, 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 um, <laughs> in San Francisco. And uh, to grow, significant grow, to allow the first commercial product to be launched, you know, in the next two years, I hope. That's, that's the idea. And to enable to do that, it's really about bringing top people to the company. We cannot, there are some limitations in working uh, in Israel because there isn't too many people that are experts in drug development, especially in cell therapy. Um, and most of the, the experienced people are, are in the U.S. Uh, so we have already nine employees in the U.S. Um, and we need significant funding now to allow, allow the growth and, and, and engage more people into the team uh, and to open new indications because Pearson is really not a commercial opportunity. It's a proof of concept. It's an amazing proof of concept with many... Uh, <laughs> fulfilling um, uh, evidence, but um, we Is have to. Is their diabetes getting better, by the way? <laughs> uh, it seems like it's going. This is one of the goals for the clinical trial. Anecdotally, in the compassionate use patients, we have seen that there is um, better management of their glucose and less uptake of insulin. So, but this needs to be studied in a in a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, making this jump from a small startup in Israel to a biotech company, a global biotech company to, that brings drugs to the market, it's, it's a huge thing. It's completely different than what I was, you know, even two years ago when we started growing, we already had evidence. Um, but the FDA looks at you completely different now. You know, their goal is to bring you with one pivotal trial because the disease is so rare. You do one trial, but get ready to that one really good because you need all the CMC and the manufacturing and quality. Everything needs to be in place for that specific trial. And if you want to go commercial, they have a whole new list of needs from you. So that takes a lot of money now. And it's it's a huge progress that needs to take place. So if anyone forgot, you're a basic biology scientist leading this sort of growing company into, into, as you say, this mature biotech global company. How, and you're the CEO, uh, right, at this moment. So how do you do it? Like, how, how do you... You didn't do an MBA in the, in the midst of it, right? So um, how, how did you manage to grow so much from that point of view, sort of, sort of the business side? So I think I mentioned this, um, 
um, me being uh, very open and um, asking for people's help. I, I'm not ashamed to say I don't know this and I need your help and help me understand this and that. And I trust people. And I, I'm quite certain that most of the people hmm. will be honest and will want to help because that's the nature of us. There may be just a little bit of, you know, percentage that will try to harm us, um, but most of the people will not. So I'm just very trustable. Uh, I trust others and I, I try to be the same uh, towards them. And I'm not ashamed to say I don't know and I need help. And that's how I, how I gathered around because if you think you're the best in everything and let me do an MBA and now I know how to manage a company about a company, then you know you will not succeed in engaging good people next to you because people want to know that they contribute. So everyone that joined into the team is an expert in his field. And I tell him, you are now, the, I used to do everything by myself, but now you are the expert. <laughs> Lucky enough, I know what you are doing because I was doing everything before by myself. <laughs> so you can consult with me with whenever you want. And I will, I will say what I think because that's what I am. I'm Israeli and I'm open and I'm, I'm just very transparent. And I will say what I think, but we are a team. And one of the goals that I placed two years ago is to take the burden of responsibility only for my shoulders. And this is when you are... Um, when you are a good manager, you don't say I, I, I. It's us, us, us. And you, and you have good people next to you, you say it very easily. Even when I was alone in the company, I kept saying, we, we, we did. We. <laughs> and maybe you can go back to the record and see that we dosed the patient. And we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not alone. Nothing is alone. So, you know, being, be, I don't know if I'm the best CEO for, Minovia uh, in five years from now or in 10 years from now or even in two years from now. I don't know. I'm still in a learning process. If the board or even myself will feel that uh, I'm not doing the best for the company, I will not stay there. But as long as I keep learning and I, I keep engaging people that help me, uh, advisors or uh, team members and amazing people, investors and board members, I know that we can do it. I can do it. I can grow into the CEO of Minovia in five years because I have help and I have great team and they help me. I grow with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 and it's still such a good scientist. advice to, to, I will to never accept stop it. Scientist. <laughs> <laughs> it always continues. <laughs> oh, that, that, I think the most inspiring talk I, I ever had. Uh, privilege of being a part of, uh, like aside a bystander, because you're amazing, Natalie. Really, thank you. It's thank you so much. It, yeah, it's so it's so important, and and I think it's this the last bit. It's such bold honesty to say that it is your dream, it is your idea and your passion, and and I think you captured it nicely when in in that moment in the hallway in Sheba when you described it. And uh, yeah, I, I, as, as, as a scientist, as a person uh, that I inspire to have this moment somewhere in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but now saying that you, it's a very important for you, the mission is very important for you and the science is very important for you. That's, 
Wow, that, that is such bold honesty that I don't have any words, which Lena can tell it's, it's a rare occasion. Yeah, it's, an indi- it's, a, it's now a different. It's not me that is the focus here, and which is the beauty of working in a company. It's the company. It has to survive even if I'm not there. And that's when I'm um, growing the company, then I grow them to be an, in, an individual um, um, it's like a person. You, it's like a child. I used to say I have five girls. Michal, Hila, Minovia, and Dana. Because Minovia came before Dana. Because it really is growing them to become individuals. And you want them to succeed even when you're on vacation or even when you cannot un- answer the phone. You need to let them be... Um, um, able to get the right decisions when you are not around. And that's like, just like being a parent, <laughs> having the company be individual and make the right decisions. Um, it's empowering for them as well. Sounds like an amazing place to work at, I have to say. Yeah, and, and I think the next generation of a, a Yuvgi Ohana family is, uh, as four girls to watch for in the next couple of years because they're they, they have a role model of how you grow a dream and everything and that's that's yeah, yeah that's very promising and so i have i have i have many more questions but one burning <laughs> one is that when you keep on when we keep on talking about the differences between conducting research here and here it's individualism versus team based why do you think or, or like do you have an opinion of why, what keeps academia from adopting this kind of, of um, workflow? Because look at what you've done in, in a number of years, advancing a field forward that you, the KOL you talked to said, I spent 40 years and haven't got to this place. Why not adopt this teamwork in academia? Um. That, that's, that's an excellent question. That really is an excellent question. Um, I know some, some of my colleagues, when they went to do the postdoc uh, in the US, or uh, they, they used to say that sometimes the PI puts more than one person, more than one scientist on the same project just to see who moves faster and he will publish first. So I think something is missing there. I mean, there, there is great passion about the science and people become experts and we are all um, getting trained to become PIs, which actually PIs are leaders and we all follow up on them and you, know, it's, you, gave, you get management skills, but it's very, um, very f- focused on your scientific goals and your achievement and your a publication and I remembered some of my colleagues saying why should I be equal contributor with him he only did the PCR what is this why are we so sensitive of who will be first and who will be second and whether it's equal and whether it's not are we going to change the world with this finding are we going to impact other areas scientific areas are we going to be remembered 10 years from now 15 years from now, 20 years from now? What are the messages that we give to our children, to our coworkers, to our teammates, 
and to our fathers and mothers who are, wants to be proud of, of us and what we are doing. Is it a nature publication or is it the impact that we make to the world? And I think at some point I realize I don't really care if I'm first or second uh, or what is the impact factor of the paper that I will publish. I want to influence people's life. I really want to make a change. I want to get the feeling that we are part of something big, something that is important. And I took the chance for three years to be alone, to you know, have, you know, suffer from lack of funding and lack of salary and, um, and working days and nights and having no co teammates and anything because I wanted to de-risk the project. I wanted to make sure that I will dose a patient and I will see that this is working. And then I go to the investors and I will tell them, I de-risked the project. Now fund the company. I will go to excellent workers, scientists, and I will tell them, listen guys, it's working. Spend your life with me in understanding how and how we can engage other diseases and those more patients. It's, you know, it's, it's not about ourselves or on a, one single publication. It's the impact that we make on other people's life. Either our employees or our investors. You know, the best thing that happens to my angel investors is that they can tell their friends, they're also old people, they can tell their friends that they invest in Minovia and they treated patients and we are changing lives of patients. That's making an, an impact. Wow, I think we have to finish here because it's it's just it's it's just it's the perfect message. I, you know, Alfred was asking why, um, why the academia is so different to to, you know, to what you you do in your company, and I think I think this is it. Like you, we're so centralized in in the academia because we have to because you won't progress in the academia without it and you know, it, it's, it's too hard. And the sort of, there's so many challenges that, you know, that make this system work this way, uh, that individuals, it's very hard for individuals to fight it. I think may, maybe, you know, later on it's possible, but in the beginning they cannot. And when you sort of took off and you sort of started your own path uh, in Minovia, I think it also gave you power to to fight that sort of system and um and it's it's incredible the way you do it and um it's, it's really inspiring <laughs> it's, it's it's really incredible thank you and if i may because i thought often when we you started asking the question i thought you were going to ask something else uh, why is it that academic persons do not take as a first higher priority the industry and my my take home here is that sometimes industry is considered as a place just for the money it's just for the money you know and, and it's true you make money in the industry i mean it's eventually if you succeed then the the founders and entrepreneurs will will benefit financially incredible what a huge risk did they take 
on their personal career, on their life, in this mission, you know, and it may be at the end, they will be compensated for <laughs> this, and maybe even very significantly. But if that's the force behind what I'm doing today, and my girls don't, almost doesn't see me, you know, they, they don't, I'm such a busy mother. How proud they are, they say, to say that their mother is developing therapies to treat children. That's not what drives us. The drive is not the money. It's about really making the impact. And I think if that changes in academia, when a PI will say, you know, go make an impact with the science that I taught you, and not if you go to, to academia, to, to industry, it means you are there for the money. No, don't say that. It's not true. It's just not true. Definitely. And that, that was, yeah, that was the driving force be behind me and Lena and others as well that started this movement. And, and it's not just us. There are many others that are talking about this exactly. You, you, you cannot be what you cannot see. And you can go to a PI, and, and, which is, they are amazing. They, they spend their life and career, developing their career, and they're great at their field. But you cannot, you cannot take an advice from someone who has not been there and bring in stories like yours, which shows that, and, 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 and others through the season, that shows that the research is with impact and with passion, and you're not in any chance and any, like any, um, any point along the way, you gave up your scientific integrity, but the science was always in front of you and guiding you. And, and that is exactly that, bringing those stories to people would, we hope, make a small dent in this uh, industry is just a sellout. No, it's not. Industry is you, Natalie. Industry is, is, is people with, with passion. They wanna meet the patients not just write papers and impact life in their lifetime and not hope that they take, for example, uh, Jennifer Dudenay and Emmanuel Charpentier. Why everyone is so amazed that they got their Nobel Prize like uh, less than a decade after the technology is out? It's because they made a huge freaking impact yeah. on everything. Science is different. I made, and you probably made mice, transgenic mice before CRISPR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's two years of my life that I will never get back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, and that's exactly that. I have a guest here. We <laughs> <laughs> would have two if they weren't sleeping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, so I think we we've for such a busy entrepreneur, CEO, a scientist, a mom, uh, a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, partner it's really we took a lot of your time and really thank you thank you thank you so much for talking to us for bringing your story and passion to to people who listen to us and i i think we can go on for hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's 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 true pleasure and an honor and um and and we i hope we can get this episode to as many people as we can because people have to listen up <laughs> and think about their priorities in life. It was really so a pleasure. And I, I think there is a long way still to go to know if those decisions I made was really, were really the right decisions for the world maybe. <laughs> uh, but for myself, it was um, really enjoying this way and 
and, and the path and, and the friends that I made on the way and the teammates. And um, I know that I did the right thing. Uh, if it succeeds or not, it's only after FDA approval. And <laughs> um, the path is important, not less than the consequences. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the night. <laughs> <laughs>